You tuned in to the Kojo Namdi Show on WAMU 88.5. Welcome. In a moment, we'll take a look back at the year of COVID with Dr. Lena Wen, parenting coach Megan Leahy, and DCS reporter Elliot Williams. But you can start calling now if you have questions or comments about the last year of coronavirus. It's been a year since the pandemic began. What stands out to you and how did you get through it? It was February 28, 2020, when we first covered the coronavirus in any detail. Of course, no one at that time knew how deadly the virus would become or how this year would unfold. At the time, we were talking about elbow bumping and how best to wash our hands. Over the days that followed, cases started to steadily increase. And suddenly, schools and businesses shut down and coronavirus dominated all our lives. Here's a look back at some of the coverage the past year. What's dominating a lot of conversations today is the coronavirus, which is, according to a CDC official, not a matter of if, it's a matter of when it comes here. It is a respiratory virus. It is transmitted in a similar way to the cold or the flu. There is no vaccine. What is the status of coronavirus cases in the District of Columbia. Um, We have uh, four presumptive positives. We do expect for things to get much worse because this disease is spreading within the U.S. Right now they have us closed uh, to everything except digital and and remote paper learning. The reason schools are being closed is that we don't want kids to be congregating together. So while schools are closed, do not get your kids together on playdates. Our best chance of of safeguarding our health of this nation is to flatten the curve. There are, of course, skeptics. Here is Anise. Because of the media and all these events being highlighted in the media so much, it kind of creates a panic. Respectfully, I would uh, disagree with the caller, and I do urge your listeners to take this very seriously. This could potentially be a very serious disease that can last for uh, a, a prolonged period of time, up to years is what epidemiologists are saying. In D.C., where African Americans are 44% of the population, black people represent 75% of COVID deaths. I hope that we will soon get to the point that anyone who needs a test will be able to get one, but we're not at that point yet. With the panic at the grocery stores, you can go one day to the grocery store and the, the shelves are stocked. You go back the next day and everything has been taken. The number of cases of COVID-19 have been doubling every three days, which is extremely alarming. Last night, uh, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser ordered restaurants and bars to go all carry out or all delivery. The coronavirus has affected the economy like most of us has never seen before. 30 million Americans have filed for unemployment since the pandemic began, with an unemployment rate not seen since the Great Depression. Last month, the month of October, had the food bank distributing over 7 million pounds of food in one month. And so that's a record in our 40-year history. I don't know how long this this pandemic is going to last for. So I cannot pay my rent. As far as the cancel rent movement, I mean, it sounds exactly like what it is. Millions of people around the country can't pay rent and we won't pay. How are you supposed to pay the rent when your entire industry is shut down by the government? There were cooks, musicians, ministers, managers, nurses and teachers. There were spouses, parents and grandparents. They were ours. The more than 7,000 lost to the coronavirus in the Washington region. 
Some people could end up being very sick, but some people don't get that sick. As in, as you said, they don't necessarily even end up in the hospital, but may still be living with these really debilitating and severe long-term effects. I have been healthy and athletic my whole life. I've run marathons. I have no underlying conditions that I know of. So I did not think that I was going to be at risk here. And、um, and eight months later, here we are. With people gathering over the Thanksgiving holiday, we're right in the middle of a surge. Our pandemic year is ending with overcrowded hospitals and thousands of deaths each day, but there is hope that vaccines approved for emergency use last week will finally bring us some relief. I am a black man in America, and here is my catch twenty-two: if given the opportunity to take the vaccine, I will take it, no problem. No, but history tells me to be careful、uh, looking at syphilis or the Tuskegee experiment. And many other things that blacks have suffered at the hands of government. Kojo, I can't tell you how much teachers want to return to in-person learning, but we don't believe it's safe at this time. Yeah, we did end up getting a loan.、Um, it took quite a long time、uh, for all the paperwork to clear. What we did receive、uh, was very helpful, and it I think enabled us to stay open as long as as we have. How about the 1.9 trillion dollar stimulus package passed by Congress? How is it? Likely to affect business, metro, and child poverty in the DC region. Metro is going to get,、uh, you know, a good chunk of money that is going to prevent service cuts, massive service cuts that could be could have been coming. Lots of folks are going to be getting stimulus checks, and that actually has a big benefit for local economies. I was thinking when the pandemic started, how I can make the difference, and I start volunteering. It just it just being amazing, be able to help families really. Joining me now is Elliot Williams, staff writer for DCist and WAMU. Elliot, thank you so much for joining us. Of course, Kojo. Thanks for having me. Megan Leahy is a certified parenting coach, a columnist with the Washington Post, and the author of Parenting Outside the Lines. Megan Leahy, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. And Dr. Lena Wen is an emergency physician and professor of public health at George Washington University. She's also a contributing columnist for the Washington Post. Dr. Wen, thank you for joining us. Of course, glad to join you as always, Kojo. Well, let's start with you then, as you were featured in the clip we just played and have been a frequent guest on this show the past year. First, thank you. For so generously making time for us throughout this difficult year and giving us such crucial advice, so what has the past year been like for you in your professional life as a doctor and someone whose other role is to communicate medical information to the public? I'll say, Kojo, that it was actually very difficult to listen to the montage that you played because. I, I thought through to all the individual times that we were on to speak about the pandemic, and as much as a year ago, we thought about the worst case of what could happen. I don't know that any of us could have predicted that we would be facing a situation of this much tragedy and this much loss, and half a million Americans who have died in this last year. I mean, for me,、um, I mean, you know, and I think many of the listeners may know that I had a baby during this time. My baby is now 11 months old. She was born in April of last year, and really, every aspect of my life, from the professional to the personal, has very much been shaped by COVID-19. And I look back now and I think about 
all the missed opportunities that we had as a country, that there were so many things that individuals did that made such a big difference, whether it's a decision to postpone a trip or a decision to not gather indoors. Um, those things really made a huge difference. It could have been so much worse. But I also think about the many missed opportunities on the policy level. And I think looking back, I hope that we'll learn the lessons that we should have learned from the very beginning and really focus on what we should do in terms of preventing the next pandemic, because it's not a question of if but when, and also turning our attention to these underlying issues like health disparities and inequities that have been unmasked by COVID-19. You mentioned it, so I'll get to it. Being pregnant and giving birth can be a very stressful time for women. You gave birth to your daughter, Isabel, early on in the pandemic, as you just mentioned. Talk about that experience. Well, I look back at some of my writings during that time. Um, I also had the opportunity to work on a video diary um, with um, with NBC at that time. And, um, it, you know, all these things that were so abnormal at the time, as in wearing masks or not having visitors, that's just what everybody has been going through since. Um, and I certainly have a profound appreciation of what it's like from the, the perspective of the patient who again, childbirth or any kind of medical condition is already a frightening time. But to not have your support system there necessarily, to also have so much other types of uncertainty, I think it's there has been a heavy burden that's been put upon our doctors, nurses, respiratory therapists, and, and providers, but also a really heavy burden on individuals. And we see this also in terms of patients not seeking medical care. I'm really worried about the individuals who, for whatever reason, have not sought care for their cancer treatment or pre-preventive care or childhood immunizations and so many other things that are by the wayside and mental health issues that I think we'll really need to focus on coming out of the pandemic too. How is Isabel doing? Uh, thank you for asking. <laughs> she's wonderful. Um, she's beginning to, she stands. Um, she is not that far from walking any day, which I know is heralds the beginning of the end as I have a toddler who's exactly. very active. Someone you'll never be able to catch. If more, if you, you, you implied this earlier, or I inferred it from what you were saying, if more people had socially distanced and worn masks, and had we been led by an administration that had shown leadership and put science first, how different might the outcome have been? Again, I think it's very difficult to talk about it in this way because we know based on various modeling studies that we could have prevented many, maybe tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of deaths. But how could that be said to someone who lost their loved one, that that death was in essence preventable? And yet that is the case. And I think moving forward, what I'm really worried about is that the same misinformation and disinformation that there was and is around mask wearing, there is around vaccines. And I think about all the preventable deaths that we can still aim to prevent, but unfortunately, we are working against a very difficult time where something as basic as mask wearing or vaccines has been politicized. Megan Leahy, most parents have now been overseeing online learning for a year now. If someone had told you that last March, what would your reaction have been? Um, sheer terror. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> you know... As it was happening, I thought, we're not going back in two weeks. This is, this is not good. 
and um, a year I've seen, I think like Dr. Wen alluded to, incredible strength and resiliency. And we don't even know what's been lost yet. And so I don't want this people listening to be like, oh my gosh, so negative. But there's going to be some very long-term emotional, academic, socioeconomic issues with our kiddos as related to what's happened in the last year. We'll be taking a short break. When we come back, we'll continue this conversation. I'm Kojo Namdi. This month at WAMU, we're lifting our voices to shine a light on black changemakers throughout American history. Some you know and some you don't, but they all change the world. Go to wamu.org slash lift every voice to learn the stories of these incredible African-American changemakers and to hear special interviews spotlighting those who have impacted the arts, sciences, sports, and activism. Go to wamu.org slash lift every voice. Welcome back to our conversation about the year of COVID. Megan Leahy, back in May, you joined us for an event on parenting during the pandemic. And you said this when I asked you how you and your family were doing. Um, you know, <laughs> it's <laughs> moment to moment, which... It is for a lot of families when you, I feel grateful for a home and food and nature and all the things that I have. And then you also maybe want to Thelma and Louise out of here. Um, are you still wanting to sometimes Thelma and Louise out of here, driving your car yeah. off a cliff? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> and there will be legions behind me. No, you know, I think with spring around the corner and the Facebook feeds and Instagram of vaccines bring people so much hope. So I think there's this feeling of like, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And we have to temper it with patience. But I do feel better now than I did then. <laughs> How has virtual <laughs> learning been for your three kids? Um, well, one dropped out of school, so that was a big success. We um, ended up moving her into another school uh, that was still virtual, but she needed something different. That took a toll on the family. Uh, the other two, one has done very well, and one has done well, but is very, very isolated and is struggling. As a parenting coach, I'd imagine you've been busy this past year. What have you been seeing and hearing from parents and kids? The number one thing, I've never been busier, which I would trade everything to not be busy for people to not suffer like this. Um, can, I, can I give our listeners an indication of just how busy you are? Um, I mean, if we call no. my <laughs> no, I, I'll I'll give them the indication because yesterday you were supposed to do an audio test with us, <laughs> with all of the things going on in your life, you completely forgot. I completely forgot <laughs> yes. and told Kurt like, sorry. Um, I've never received this many SOS calls, and the number one thing I'm seeing is isolation. 
the parents feel like they're the only ones where they had happy learning, you know, typical kids who now we have kids who cannot get out of bed, will not go to school, are not eating. I've never seen this, right? That you, you, that within less than a year, happily well, you know, well-functioning kids are completely depressed and anxious. To add to that, the parents feel all alone. Now, of course, I talk to 20 people a week about this. I'm like, you are, you are in company, but nobody knows that. And even though I'm singing it from the Washington Post and my Facebook and everything, that's the added layer of that isolation, which is so not like humans. Are there we one need or, each other. Are there one or two pieces of advice that you found helpful in guiding parents through this challenging time? Yeah, I, 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 to be honest with each other, coworkers, friends, family, when people are like, how are you doing? Don't be like, great, we're just really grateful. No, say, we're not doing so good this week. Because what you end up getting is people are like, oh my God, me too. I'm, I'm not good either. And that makes us feel better when we feel reflected in other people. I'm also the biggest piece of advice is we are going for the needs of the situation. We are picking bad choices out of bad decisions for our kids, right? So the needs of the situation may be, you know what? Homework's not getting done this week. It's operation go outside. Or, yeah, we're going to allow a little bit more tech and I'll play it with you. These are maybe not decisions you would ever make otherwise. But this is what has to happen now. Elliot Williams, you've been covering this pandemic as a reporter, but early on in the pandemic, both your parents got COVID. How was that for you and for your family? Yeah, so it was terrifying, uh, to say the least. This was almost a year ago now, so early, early on in the pandemic, as you mentioned, and this was before the CDC had issued its mask guidance. This was before we knew much of anything. Pretty much all I knew was that Black families were being affected in high proportions. And for those listeners who don't know, my family's black. And um, my mother, I got a call from my mom who herself was experiencing mild symptoms, a low-grade fever, fatigue. Uh, but she was driving my father uh, to the ICU, and they live out in uh, Philly. Um, and the next 10 days um, were terrible. You know, just fear that I would get a call and... Um, that would be it, that my dad would be gone. And I can say, having covered it for a year, that that's a call a lot of people have gotten. Um, it certainly changed my life. Your parents thankfully survived COVID-19, but are they still experiencing symptoms nearly a year after, like too many people are? So they did survive, thank God. Um, and they're doing okay. Um, they do have some lingering symptoms, shortness of breath. Um, but, you know, my dad uh, is the first to tell you that he donates his plasma uh, very often, um, saving who, who knows how many people um, with his antibodies. And now um, they both are vaccinated. Uh, my mom is a social worker who's helping to administer the vaccine at an independent living home. So to show the sort of dichotomy of going through it themselves now on the other side, um, it's, it's miraculous, if you ask me. You thankfully were able to take some time off from work to be there for your family, but what did the personal experience of dealing 
with COVID-19 have on you when you returned to work and began reporting on the pandemic? Well, it certainly colored every aspect of what I what I reported on. It wasn't a story that I could ignore. Um, I know that I would wake up in the morning and look for the latest news because it impacted my family. It impacted many people I knew, and I knew that um, I knew how important it was to get this reporting right. I I don't think I've ever had an assignment more crucial um, than than this, and that was apparent right when I came back to work. Debian Greenbelt emails, just as Dr. Wen alluded to, there are people who have not dealt with underlying medical issues due to various reasons. Both my mom, who is 85 today, and my sister have not followed up due to the many frustrations of seeing a doctor during this time. Lena Wen, what advice would you give to Debbie? I would say to Debbie and everybody else to please encourage your loved ones to make the appointments that are needed um, because we know that um, that there are many other medical issues that continue that um, these actually these underlying medical issues could exacerbate the effects from COVID-19 if you were to get them if you were to get coronavirus but also healthcare and medical care doesn't stop in a time of COVID as in if you have underlying high blood pressure or diabetes or, or, or heart disease these issues continue even while a pandemic is raging around us so many people are getting vaccinated now, which is fantastic. I definitely say to anyone who is fully vaccinated, if you've been putting off any medical appointments of any kind, whether it's dental cleanings or colonoscopies or elective surgeries, you should get that now. You are now well protected yourself. But I'd also say to other people who have not yet gotten vaccinated that medical offices have gotten very good in this time in preventing infection. And the rate of transmission in terms of acquiring coronavirus, getting your routine medical care is very low. And I would highly encourage anyone who's been putting off routine preventive screenings for themselves, for their children, to make sure that they do that now, because we don't want to have the rest of healthcare suffer in the middle of this pandemic, too. We got a tweet from Gren, speaking of the things that people feel they will miss after the coronavirus has passed if and when it does. Glenn tweets, I will miss the lack of traffic and really hearing birds. The week of lockdown, I went for a bike ride at 8 p.m. and crossing the major Colesville Road in Silver Spring, the only car I saw was a Greyhound bus with Go Home on its sign. It was glorious. So there are some people who feel that what we're going through now, um, there are aspects of it that they do appreciate. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll continue this conversation of the year of COVID. I'm Kojo Nam. Welcome back. We're talking about the year of COVID-19 and how it has changed our lives. We're talking with Dr. Lena Wen, an emergency physician and professor of public health at George Washington University and a contributing columnist for the Washington Post. Megan Leahy is a certified parenting coach, a columnist with the Washington Post and author of Parenting Outside the Lines. And Elliot Williams is a staff writer for DCist and WAMU. Elliot, you were never a health reporter, but like many reporters, you became one because for a good portion of the year, there was just one story to report on, COVID-19. What was it like to cover one story for so long? 
Well, so before the pandemic, I like to tell people that my stories often covered the wacky uh, elements of D.C. Um, you know, I covered um, an overweight cat uh, before the pandemic. Uh, that was my shining story. Uh, but as soon as the pandemic uh, took over our lives, um, a few of us reporters at DCist and WAMU got together and formed internally something called the Health Hub, where we knew that every day we'd get together, meet, and report on the health aspects, the social aspects, the cultural aspects uh, that were impacted by COVID-19. Um, and so, as you mentioned, I became sort of a health reporter overnight. Um, I got into journalism to cover arts and entertainment. Um, but, you know, you learn reporting skills and they apply to no matter what you're covering. So I, I learned how to do it very quickly. Um, Megan Leahy, the pandemic has disproportionately affected people of color and low-income communities. What kinds of strategies have you been recommending to those parents who are dealing with these added pressures right now? Um, you know, it's really about, as your uh, the package before was was playing, and I'm with Dr. Wen listening to that, I was like, oh my God, not feeling re-traumatized, but kind of emotional. Um, community supports, and especially in D.C., things started happening to support people. It was just hard to find it. So I tried to, as best I could, be the arrows. Go here, go there, call this person, don't stop, you know, email this person. Because help was coming, you know, a lot of things were going wrong, but a lot of people were stepping forward. So I saw myself as an arrow. Here now is Brenda in Ellicott City, Maryland. Brenda, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Uh, hi. Yes, my son has had two doses of the vaccine, and but he's very high risk. He works as a busser in a grocery store. And I'd like to know if there's a way, since he's immunosuppressed, to be sure that he has enough antibodies. Like, where can I get, get him tested? Dr. Wen? So it's a great question and one that we get a lot from people who want to understand how well protected am I from the vaccine? Is getting the vaccine enough? And here's the thing, there is no way to find out, as in there's no test that you can do. And an antibody test may show that you have antibodies, but it actually may also show that you don't have antibodies, but you still could have protection through other means of, of your immune system protecting you as well. And so we do not advise that people who have received the vaccine to get an antibody test because that result is not going to help to, um, to, 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 to show whether you are protected. Thank you very much for your call, Brenda. And now on to Lisa in Washington, who's back with us. Lisa, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. All right. Hi, Cole Joe. Thank you for your patience. Um, I was the dropper a minute ago. That's um, right. So I really appreciate it. The last time I talked to you was when we had an earthquake in the District of Columbia. So I've been with you a while, and I'm going to miss you. But listen, I just had a really quick question um, about the vaccine, because this is the scoop. I've seen a lot of messages, millions of them on both of my neighborhood listservs. And um, I'm under 65. I apparently have no condition, you know, that would allow me to get the vaccine earlier than May 1st, I believe, or being under 65. But I'm not sure if Dr. Wynn is aware of this, but there does seem to be this just growing, um, like, anxiety and 
frustration about the fact that they're glopping like 16 to 64 year olds together. I'm just a little over 50, but I'm I'm getting inundated every day, like with people making me feel like I'm I'm missing the boat or something because I don't have a condition. I'm well under 65, and they say, "Oh hi, have you gotten your vaccine yet?" And I'm starting to be like, Lisa, you are an idiot. What are you missing? What are you not knowing? How come half these people well, have already Lisa, got you seem to, before? You seem to be uh, undergoing a fair amount of stress. Allow me to have Dr. Wen yeah. respond. I understand, Lisa, where you're coming from. Um, and a lot of people have raised the issue of, well, if there's going to be expanded eligibility and more people are going to be eligible to get the vaccine, what about me? As in, um, I have been having trouble um, even getting access because it's such a hodgepodge piecemeal system that exists in so many different states. And I know that it's really difficult for people to navigate existing systems. And so I, I would say that we are... In, I know it seems very frustrating right now, and it is very frustrating right now, but we are headed to a much better place soon. The Biden administration has said that by the end of May, there's going to be enough vaccine supply for every adult American to get the vaccine. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody is going to be able to get the vaccine by end of May, but at least we're going to have enough supply. The administration of the vaccines is also ramping up substantially to the point that we're now at nearly two and a half million vaccinations done every day. And so I think that Again, it's very frustrating for the time being, but the more that the uh, that the Biden administration and that state and local governments can be increasing vaccine sites, the better it's going to be. Mass vaccination sites may not be the most convenient for many people. Many people may prefer going to their community pharmacy. They may prefer to go to their primary care doctor's office, their health center that they normally get their care. And the more that can be done and the more mobile sites and setting up um, vaccination sites and churches and schools and workplaces, I think that's going to go a long way. So I would just urge patience on everyone's part because I know this is really challenging, but hope is very much on the way. Lisa, thank you very much for your call and good luck to you. We got an email from Marguerite who says, I miss so much hearing kids screaming at recess at Oyster Adams's middle school. On the other hand, here is Denise in Alexandria, Virginia. Denise, your turn. Hi, yes. So, um, you know, I really want to say that my family and I have enjoyed this time at home. Sure, it's been tough. You know, yes, we're tripping over one another. Um, you know, no virtual school hasn't been easy, but, um, you know, I honestly have enjoyed spending time with my child, and we have struggled. I mean, struggled more than you can imagine, you know, in terms of whether we should send our child back to school for some sort of hybrid learning. Um, just because, you know, we know we are African-American and Asian. Our family's blended, um, or it's biracial. And, um, you know, we are really concerned about how this virus affects people of color. And I know you know, scientists say that it doesn't affect children as much, but one child getting this virus and dying is one too many. And I don't want to be the one to mourn the loss of my child or to have to deal with the residuals, right, um, if my child gets the virus. So we are just torn. We don't know what to do. Uh, Megan Leahy, what would you advise Denise to do? I hear Denise loud and clear. And I would like to say to every parent echoed in what Denise is saying, that there are things we've learned from this about how we like to live with our families. And they should be noted as values we want to take forward, right? Whether it be outside, 
whether it be playing more games, whether it be a slower pace of life, these are good things. So well done, Denise, on realizing that. Um, It is making decisions in real time based on the best science we know and your feelings. And so I would recommend that you consult regularly with the school and a trusted doctor. And know that your decision will not be perfect. Every decision comes with maybe some level of threat, but you know your family best and no decision is permanent. Dr. Wen, any advice for Denise? You know, I I think that um, there are a lot of difficult decisions for people to be making now and going into the summer and fall too. I would say that at this point, we can't look at anything as zero risk. I mean, there really is nothing that's zero risk and there's nothing that's 100% risk. I think that that risk calculus is going to change over time as more and more people get vaccinated, as individuals get vaccinated. And also, it's, um, I think instead of just thinking about risk, we should also think about benefit and about what are those activities in our lives that are the most essential. Going to school may be one of those things that's really essential for our children, that there is some level of risk that we want to reduce it as much as possible, but the benefits may substantially outweigh the risks. And I think it's important for us to now think about values and about the degree of risk rather than just say, is this thing safe or not safe? There's nothing at, so there's nothing that's zero or 100% safe or unsafe. Denise, thank you very much for your call. Elliot, you and your fellow reporters at WMU produced some year of COVID pieces. One of them profiled 29 locals from all walks of life and looked at what their experience was like the past year. Who did you profile for the story and what were some of the highlights? Right. So uh, I interviewed uh, three different individuals from across the region. Uh, I talked to, quote unquote, patient zero, uh, Father Tim Cole um, of Christ Church Georgetown, who was D.C.'s first confirmed COVID case. Um, And I had spoken to him a year ago. So it was actually really nice to check back in with him and see how he was doing, how he had recovered um, and what he'd learned uh, over the past year. And for him, it's not surprising to learn that his faith uh, in God was strengthened through this experience and his his mission as a as a priest uh, strengthened as well. Um, I also spoke to a comedian, Martin Amini, who I'd been following for a while now um, in the local D.C. comedy scene. Um, and he still put on shows in his dad's backyard in Gaithersburg, Maryland, um, as as venues shut down. So it was really interesting to talk to him and learn how he kept people laughing. Um, And then the last person I spoke with was a COVID long hauler, a young woman from D.C. who, um, you know, came down with COVID in March uh, 2020, but is still experiencing the lingering symptoms of COVID. And just talking to her about what this past year has been like really put things into perspective that this is not just a short term thing, as you know, you might see sometimes that, you know, we'll be done with this soon for her. She has no idea how long she'll be dealing with these symptoms, dealing with the repercussions of having to think every decision through of whether she can even go for a walk because she might be winded for the next week um, and talking about the relationships that have been strained in her life. So those three interviews on personally impacted me, but also uh, in context with the 29 interviews we did really painted this past year in a, in a light that I think was, was helpful for us to see. 
Elliot, you also reported the, on the effect the pandemic has had on local businesses, and you focused on Anacostia. Tell us what you found. How were businesses affected there? So, yes, I went to uh, MLK Ave and Good Hope Road for a day and just spoke door to door to different business owners. Um, and, you know, we mapped out the nearly 400 uh, businesses, brick and mortar businesses that have closed across the city. Surprisingly or unsurprisingly, depending on who you ask, in Anacostia, not that many businesses have closed. In fact, I spoke to the local uh, business improvement district who said, that no businesses have closed as a result of COVID directly. What we learned from our reporting is that this was already a community that was underserved, that was underinvested in, and needs the attention from the city. Um, you know, a lot of businesses there had to look at their, you know, back of the restaurant and, and look at their books and get their affairs in order in order to apply for grants and get get the relief they needed. Um, these businesses were struggling, but they're relying on you know, their resiliency that they've always had to make it through in D.C., Southeast. Here now is Charlotte in Falls Church, Virginia. Charlotte, your turn. Hi there. Um, I, heard one, um, I heard one of the callers um, comment about the difficulty of finding um, a place to get the vaccine. And um, just from hunting around for my own parents, um, there, you know, I just came across some, some stuff in the area that could be helpful for people. There are a bunch of Facebook groups. Um, there's Nova Vaccine Hunters. There's Maryland Vaccine Hunters. Um, and there are people, you know, volunteers who go on there and they, um, you know, they can connect. Maybe like, you know, you're maybe you have like an aunt who's familiar with Facebook, but not too technologically savvy and people you can connect with can um, find uh, appointments for you. And there's just also kind of helpful hints, like, you know, if you, for instance, you should sign up for a Walgreens account before you sign up for the vaccine job, because otherwise you'll waste time signing up and your slot will be gone. So there's some local resources that can be found there. Thank you very much for sharing that with us, Charlotte. Here now is Ed in McLean, Virginia. Ed, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi, Kojo. I'm with the company RGS Title, or a real estate settlement company. And a lot of folks, I think we need to recognize the hardworking frontline people who are realtors. Uh, we at RGS Title have been open for the whole year, helping people buy, sell, uh, refinance their homes. It allows the municipality, county, state, city to get taxes. And the realtors have been on the front line, too. We've been doing the closing socially distanced. And I just want to thank those frontline people, realtors, uh, in the real estate world, helping people in this hot real estate market. It's been a tough year for all, but uh, we're, we're getting back to normal soon. I want to say thank you to all the builders. Okay, and thank you for your call. Allison Ashburn emails, not to invalidate the struggle most people have had this year, but the COVID pandemic enabled me to do many things I had been putting off and unable to do previously. I was able to get a better job, move to a more affordable area, pass a certification test I had previously failed several times, lose weight, get hip surgery, and now I'm becoming a first-time home buyer. Well, very good for you, Alice. Megan Leahy, it hasn't obviously been all bad. What were some silver linings this past year for parents and kids? So <laughs> I've never had as many parents spend this much time with their children. <laughs> and it was after the initial shock, they started to really love it. I have seen a silver lining in that kids have gone to their parents and said, I don't like soccer anymore, right? And 
parents are listening to their kids. I have seen a silver lining in nature, in rediscovering DC's parks, in rediscovering the city, right? And the vibrant arts community that kept going, right, in all these ways. So there have been some beautiful silver linings of the simplicity of being home, right, and with people you love. It was certainly a challenging year, but we tried our best to lighten things up from time to time. Here's some of it. We start with a segment on the pandemic pet adoption craze. Remember that? A segment we did two days after the election to, well, distract us from what was going on. If Schnuckums the turtle was able to vote, how would he have voted on the ballot initiative in D.C. to decriminalize psychedelic mushrooms? I think Schnookum would probably have voted yes to decriminalize that because Schnookums <laughs> likes vegetables. Trying to make the best of COVID, but I miss a lot of the simple things, you know, like being able to cough in public. <laughs> that used to be a thing about people judging you, like giving you evil looks and stuff. I even miss my like annoying coworkers. You would go in the office and like, you would sneeze like, oh, God bless you. Like, they were so excited, so enthusiastic to say God bless you. Like you sneezing and Choo, God bless you again. At one point, there there was a resident of D.C. who complained about the Kennedys having a naked horse on their lawn. And I really don't know. I guess this person had not been brought up on a farm or had never seen a male horse before. I don't know what they expected <laughs> President Kennedy to do, like if there were supposed to be pants. <laughs> well, this is for all of our guests. I'll start with you, Megan Lady. What were some things you did to decompress, to laugh, and to try and enjoy life during this strange and unprecedented year? I started showing uh, my kids the, the movies I grew up with, which, by the way, <laughs> did not age well, but um, <laughs> were so ridiculously funny and a lot of comedy. That's what we did at home. Lots of silliness and lots of breaking of rules. How about you, Lena Wen? I don't know that I did so much that's different, but I did a lot more of the things that my family and I just didn't really have that much of a chance to do before. For example, we went for and we go for so many walks in our neighborhood every day. And so do my neighbors. I've met so many neighbors that I didn't even know who live here. But I think because we a lot of us have young children, we know one another and I think cannot wait for the day when our young children are able to play together once again. How about you, Elliot? Um, similarly, I started going for more walks. Um, I definitely started exploring Rock Creek Park um, with your recommendation, Kojo. Um, and I, <laughs> I also, my partner and I got a cat. We've long wanted a pet. Um, she's been surprisingly quiet during this uh, segment here. Her name's Bibi, um, and she's sort of lightened up, you know, and brightened my world. On now to Liz in Chevy Chase. Liz, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi, Kojo. Um, first of all, just want to say thank you. Um, I started calling in recently and was sad to hear you're retiring, but appreciate you being here for everybody. Um, also, um, I my silver lining for this past year was up until uh, before the pandemic, anytime I applied for a job and it was remote, I would turn it down because I like the social aspect. But I'm also an introvert, and I found in the past year that I actually get more done and I'm more efficient and able to get my work done to a better level than I was before, probably because I'm not spending a lot of time worrying about traffic and commute. And so, as much as I 
miss the metro. I will not be getting on it again anytime soon. So, so, you, yeah. so you've learned to enjoy working from home. Yes, yes, well, in a thank, <laughs> thank you very much for sharing that with us. Here now is Martin in Frederick, Maryland. Martin, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi there. Um, I've been hearing a lot about how the vaccine provides partial immunity or immunity towards the uh, more severe cases of COVID, and I'm trying to understand how that works with the vaccine. I always thought it was all or nothing. Dr. Wen? Well, um, I, I want to make sure that I understand the question that's being asked. And so let me just maybe re rephrase it and say that right now we have three vaccines that are authorized in the U.S., the Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson. All of them are extremely effective at the endpoint that I think really matters, which is preventing severe illness, illness that's severe enough that you can end up in the hospital, in the hospital on a ventilator or die. That's what we care about preventing. We don't care as much about preventing the sniffles and a mild cough. We care about that level of severe illness. So all three of the vaccines that we have are very effective at that endpoint. Now, I do think that um, um, there are variants um, that are emerging in other places, um, including the variant that uh, that originated out of South South Africa, the B1351, that look as if the vaccines that we have could be slightly less effective against those vaccines or against those variants. But I still would highly urge people to get whatever vaccine you have access to when it's your turn, because they will protect against all the variants and in particular against the severe illness, which, again, is the endpoint that we really care about. And Dr. Wen, what are the latest guidelines from the CDC Centers for Disease Control and what worries you in the coming days and months in terms of where everything stands? Well, the CDC released guidelines um, recently about what it is that fully vaccinated people can do. And I think that's fantastic. We really need to be letting people know about what are the freedoms they now have back once they're fully vaccinated. And that includes fully vaccinated people can get together with one another, including indoors without masks. Um, vaccinated grandparents are probably okay to see the rest of their family as long as there aren't a lot of other unvaccinated people around in that group. Um, what worries me is actually complacency. I think that we will hopefully get to a much better place this spring and summer. I mean, there is still the possibility of a fourth surge, of course, but I think overall we're going to get to a better place come the summer. But I worry that by then people are going to have let down their guard and maybe not see the point of getting the vaccine. And that as a result, we could be in for a really bad fall and winter because we never reached herd immunity. So I think there's hope on the horizon. I would just urge people, get vaccinated, and until then, certainly keep up our guard. Vaslav emails, my girlfriend and I were lucky to go through the past year without too much trouble. Though we both contracted and recovered fully from COVID, we also survived living in a small 500-square-foot apartment with both working from home. The best silver lining was listening more to our favorite show, the Kojo Namdi Show. It's been a lunchtime ritual in our home and a steady dose of news and interesting topics. We were devastated to hear about the retirement, but at least we will still get the Friday politics show. Yes, you will certainly be getting the Friday politics show. Dr. Lena Wen, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Kojo. I'll miss your show very much, too. <laughs> Megan Leahy, thank you for joining us. Thank you. You are the joy of my life. I love <laughs> Elliot Williams, I miss seeing you, but thank you so much for joining us today. I'm missing you too. Thanks for having me, Kojo.
Today's show on a year of COVID was produced by Kurt Gardner. Coming up tomorrow, when the pandemic hit, the thriving food scene in the D.C. region was hit hard. Restaurants navigated phases of reopening. Some pivoted successfully to takeout and delivery. Others struggled, and some shut down permanently. Join us for a look at the region's restaurant landscape with special guest Jose Andres. That's tomorrow at noon. Until then, thank you for listening and stay safe. I'm Kojo Nan. The Kojo Nambi Show is produced by Julie Deppenbrock, Sydney Granin, Lauren Marco, Kurt Gardner, Richard Cunningham, and Ines Redike. Our managing producer is Ingalisa Schropsdorf. Our broadcast engineer is Rashad Young. Today's engineer was Kenny Pirot. For past shows and more content, visit kojoshow.org. Thanks for listening to the Kojo Namdi Show, and if you're already a member of WAMU 88.5, thank you for your support. If not, it's easy to give online at wamu.org. Just click the Donate button, and thanks.